Matthew chapter 24, in your left hand, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, in your right. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Matthew chapter 24. 2 Timothy chapter 3. morning I want to talk about why we love the Lord so little. So to uh, rattle your cage a little bit, maybe make you a little uncomfortable. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12 says, And because iniquity shall abound, look at the cause. The love of many shall wax cold. Now the word wax there just simply means become. So because sin is growing, love shrinks. Would you say that's probably true? Isn't that what the devil's interested in? He, uh, our, our culture is so saturated. I mean, we've, all, we've always been sinners. Every, cul- every generation has had sin. But we're swimming in it. Our culture is, is just swimming in iniquity. And then love is thrown away. Second Timothy chapter 3 also. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. This know also that in the last days, that's where we're at, perilous times shall come. Who shall be lovers of God, right? Is that how the end, uh, the, how the end of time works out? Lover of things. Boasters. Lovers of their accomplishments. Proud. Lovers of themselves, blasphemers, haters of God, disobedient to parents, unthankful. But a dangerous cancer in our hearts. We're looking at something that is stopping us from loving like we should. Now, a lot of people will easily love their sports, their family, their job, their house, their money. They'll love themselves. They love their education. Don't meet too many of those today, but they're out there. But not Christ. He's kind of not at the top of the list. Something's wrong, not with Jesus. Jesus didn't fall out or fall away out of, uh, out of fashion because of something he did. Something's wrong with our heart, our love life. And believe me, if a man says he loves God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. So one of the ways that you test whether you're loving God is whether you can love other people. And I'd say we're not doing a very good job. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would meet with us this morning and that you'd help me just take us to a time and a a place where Jesus taught on why we love you so little. Help us to examine our own hearts and take one great truth away today. Lord, I pray that it would really soften our hearts. Not only change some lives, but save some souls. There's no uh, accident that the people who are here are here on purpose. This message is not for, I mean, I wish there were a thousand people here. I wish this was on RTE television. I wish people could hear this, but they're not here. The people who are here, including myself, need this message. I pray somebody would get saved. I pray A lot of people 
would realize why we don't love you and how to love you. What would change us? Make us more loving. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, a lot of people uh, got it backwards. The problem with our love life is the reason for our love life. We, we, we kind of want to have a good feeling. We kind of want to have a, a, a reason in the person we're loving that draws us to them, which is not what love is. So this morning, Jesus is going to teach a Pharisee about love. It's probably one of the top 20 best lessons Jesus ever taught. Let's go to it right now. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We'll read down to verse 39. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him, Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went unto the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, to meal, we would say, to eat. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, a well-known woman, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man... If he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Now, Jesus has been invited to dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. This was something that didn't normally happen. The Pharisees stayed very far away from Jesus. If they ever got close to him, it was to accuse him. It was to trap him. It was to try to, to trip him up, try to, try to make him look the fool. The Pharisees had no time for Jesus Christ except for... Simon, another guy named Nicodemus. But Nicodemus wasn't so bold as Simon. Nicodemus couldn't even be seen near Jesus. Nicodemus had to come at night to talk to Jesus. There was such a fear of what people would think of these Pharisees if they were found talking to Jesus. But at least this Pharisee invites Jesus to his home. Now, a Pharisee is a very religious person. You don't know what a Pharisee is. He was a religious leader. Like a priest, at least what like a priest used to be. This Pharisee would be known as very devout, very well respected in society. And he was very well educated. He knew not only the sciences, but also theology. He was pretty wealthy. He's very careful in all his business dealings and all of his religious duties. And he was careful to live above question. Nobody could point the finger at him and say, you didn't do this or you didn't do that according to the law. And here he was inviting Jesus for dinner. You've got to commend him for that. I mean, that's, that's a brave thing. Other Pharisees had rejected what Jesus taught. But, Nick, but uh, Simon's sitting there going, you know what? I want to meet Jesus. I want to come up with my own opinion. And that's okay. I'm glad when people come to church and they say, I want to hear what you say, Pastor. I want to know what the Bible has to say. That's great. 
Now let me tell you, it doesn't matter what your opinion of Jesus is. What matters is his opinion of you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23 says, well, 22 and 23 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I, Jesus said, profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. See, it doesn't matter what you think of Jesus and what you try to do for Jesus. It matters what he thinks of you and what he did for you. Now, <clears throat> at the start of the dinner, an uninvited guest arrives. Now, I don't know about you, but normally my door is closed. When we sit down to dinner, I don't expect somebody to open up the door, come right on in and sit down at the table with us. When we don't know them. And we don't expect them. And we definitely don't want them. So I'm looking at you, right? <laughs> He's never done that. In comes this. Not just any woman. This is an uninvited guest of the worst sort. This was a woman who had a history. This was a woman who had a past. She was known, well known as a sinful woman. She came right on in, right to the back, went right to Jesus and got to work. What'd she do? She began to weep. At his feet, washing them, anointing them with expensive oil. An alabaster box was a very expensive handcraft box that held usually oil that was used in burying. This is not the same woman that was uh, that also broke open an alabaster box when Jesus uh, just a week, just a few days before his crucifixion. This was something that that women saved up all their lives for, and here she was pouring it out on Jesus's feet. Gotta, gotta take a step back. And, and, and what are you looking at? You're looking at somebody who's showing love. Unashamedly, lavishly. She's pouring out very expensive oil. Now, you gotta see the Pharisee. He is completely disgusted. He's disgusted at Jesus because if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know who it is that's touching him. He'd know of all about this woman. I mean, the, the gossip was good in that day. <laughs> they had better information channels than Facebook. Here he was allowing such a person to even get near him. The one accusation they would constantly bring against Jesus was, he eats with sinners and publicans. He was well known for that. But not only disgusted at that, but he was disgusted at the woman. She would have the nerve to come into Simon's house and interrupt this. And said, I'm sure Simon was about to ask, what do you think of Trump? <laughs> and he wanted to know what Jesus' opinion of him was. And here was this woman interrupting the very important political discussion. <laughs> but here, look at verse uh, 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. You know, if the Lord were to split open heaven for a minute and say, Dennis, I've got something I want to talk to you about, you would go, yes, Lord? Well, here he is now. Look in verse, verse 41. <clears throat> there was a certain creditor. We'd say lender. Don't want to say banker because that's 
too bad a term. Anyway, <laughs> there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When he had nothing to pay, note those words, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman. Well, let me just hold there for a minute. I'll show you four things that Jesus teaches in this in this simple parable, and you read over it, you, 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 you may not even realize how many laybys there are, stopping places to get a view. The first thing is, we miscalculate the debt we owe. When he talks about a creditor here, he's not speaking of a banker or a normal, he's speaking of God. There is somebody that, that we owe things to, and the two men in debt are all of humanity. As a matter of fact, there's none of us who have who have a debt-free connection to God, we accumulate death, I mean death, we accumulate debt like, like dust and like, like muck on the bottom of our shoes. All of humanity is in debt. But the difference between one and the other is in the amount that we owe. You see, uh, both were in debt, one owed two years' wages. Now, get the idea. 500 pence was a lot of borrowing. A pence was what you earned in one day. Now, can you imagine if you worked all day long, eight, eight, eight or nine hours, and you went, and you went down uh, to get your wages, and they handed you a very fancy pay pack, and you opened it up, and there was a penny in it. <laughs> You'd say, there's a mistake here. He says, nope, that's what you earned. But that's what they earned in that day for a whole day's wage. 500 days? That's two years' wages. That's as if you worked without being able to pay anything else except this one debt. If you worked eight hours a day, six days a week, and you saved up all that money for 500 days' labor, that's two years of debt. Now, you can't do that. You have to buy bread. You have to pay for all your other bills and everything. So here is Jesus describing, if you, if you count up how much money you make in a, a day and a week and a month, and you add up 500 days of your affairs, I would guess that you'd probably come up to the cost of a small house. Here is this debt that this one man has. Now, the other one has a debt of about two months' worth of wages. It's kind of not so bad. Maybe you could manage that. But Jesus is painting a picture here. They both are in debt. And neither one of them could pay. You say, well, I'm, I don't have as, as many sins as so-and-so. They're really bad sinners. But when you try to tally up, can you pay back all the sins that you've committed? You'll have to be admit, I can't pay them back. Whether few or many. We miscalculate the debt that we owe. Now, here's Simon. Simon doesn't get it yet. He's not understanding that Jesus is speaking about him and this woman. He's talking about creditors and lending and money. And believe me, a Jew likes to talk about money. So here he is and he's, he's, he's listening to two debtors who, are, uh, who, who can't pay anything and he hears those awful words that the creditor forgave them both. That's an awful word to a banker. Can you imagine a banker actually, and they fought it tooth and nail over the last few years, haven't they, writing off people's debts? It just doesn't happen. So Simon is pleased with himself. He can't see himself in this illustration. 
but can you see where he is? As far as Simon was concerned, he hardly needed any forgiveness compared to this, this sinner. Let me say, the way that we look at the depths of our sin affects the way we love and worship the Lord Jesus. People have a very wrong habit of looking at the amount of their sin that we commit compared to others. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Oh, well, at least I go to church. At least I believe in God. And on and on and on we go. We come up with our, our list of things that we compare among ourselves. You know, I may, I may see myself not as bad as so-and-so, but you know what God sees? A sinner. The problem is, every person in this room, every person on this planet, owes God for the wrongs we've done. All our sins are not just against people. I don't know if you've listened to people's mouths lately, but they're sinning against God. People throughout history seem to always have a light, frivolous view of their sin, and yet the Bible says the wages of sin, no matter how much or how little, is death. You find yourself where you see the sins of others as horrible, evil, unimaginable, and yet you look at yours and you go, I'm not that bad. You'd be in good company because that is our natural way of thinking. So the truth is, people really don't love God much, first of all, because they don't see their sin as awful. They really don't. They don't think that it's serious. They don't think it's disgusting to God. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you how disgusting. You want to, you want to know how disgusting it is? Jesus is dealing not just with the sins of people, with the sins of Christians. And he says there's a church in the Bible there. In the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea seemed to have plenty of money. They seemed to have... So everything going for them. They were so blessed and, and, and going so well. But Jesus says, you're miserable, wretched, poor, and blind, and you make me want to throw up. Those are people that thought they were good. Jesus says, you make me sick. See, sin has an effect on God, just like it does on you. If I sinned against you, you would be upset at me. And the same is true with God. We miscalculate. We, we devalue our sin debt while we explode other people's. Secondly, oh, I forgot my picture. I love that picture. The problem is we've been so inoculated from, from thinking that we're carrying all this debt, we think it's normal. We think this, this grief and doesn't exist, but it's burdening and killing us. Secondly, we misunderstand our ability to pay. Look back there in verse 42. And when they had nothing to pay, Simon the Pharisee believed he was managing his debts to God, or so he thought. I'm sure he was working very hard to be a good man, to do absolutely everything perfectly, to be accepted by God as he tried to keep God's law. I believe he was a family man. He probably had one wife and perfect little children, as if that ever exists. He would be considered, Simon the Pharisee would be considered a model citizen. And there was this other woman. This woman here had given up long ago trying to be good. Can you understand? She was known as a harlot. She was known as somebody 
who had ruined marriages and had soiled lives as that harlot. So no matter what she would try, there was no way back. She'd given up. But the truth is, according to the Lord Jesus, not according to my opinion, not according to psychologists, psychiatrists, not according to anybody else, neither one of them could pay. And that's good news. Because if neither one of them could pay, they both had the same need. Amen? They needed a Savior. We muddled God's forgiveness. Verse 42, he goes on and he says, and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now, I don't know what frank has to do with anything, but uh, frankly means honestly. He clearly, simply, just off the cuff, no debate, no arguing, no cajoling, no, no wrestling. The creditor says, I forgive you. Think about it, how powerful it is when somebody looks at you whom you have offended and they look and you go, it's okay. Isn't that awesome? You're forgiven. And yet, when we look at such forgiveness in the Bible, and by the way, forgiveness is the theme of the Bible from the Garden of Eden there, when Adam and Eve should have died, what did God do? He brought in lambs. And at at the cost of their lives, Adam and Eve went away forgiven. We have this way of muddling, twisting, and ruining this idea of forgiveness. People really believe that only the one debtor, the bad one, needed forgiveness. Oh, they're bad. Oh, they need forgiveness. Believing that the smaller debtor, really, they're not so bad. Oh, bad people should go to hell. Are you a bad people? Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, Both of these people needed great forgiveness, or both were doomed. People really believe that forgiveness is based upon the worthiness of the offender and on the on the ability of the offender to pay us back. Well, you know, you owe me now. If I if I let you off the hook, I'll hold it over your head for the rest of your life. Mm -mm. Did you know that the forgiveness that was available to the one who sinned very little was also available to the one who sinned a lot? Go to 1 John chapter 2, hold in your place here for a minute. 1 John, just before Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 12. True forgiveness is absolutely wonderful. 1 John 2, 12. I write unto you, little children... Because your sins are forgiven. You for, G- for his namesake. That's a, that's a great book you're reading right there. A book that can tell you your sins are forgiven. You don't need a priest to tell you that. You know what you need? You need a Bible believer to show you it from the Bible. I write these things to tell you and remind you your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, not for your good namesake. Go to Hebrews. Go back to the left now. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 16. This is the covenant. This is the 
the agreement. Now, a covenant is like marriage. It's not just agreement like a business. This covenant was between God and us. So we can have a relationship. And he says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws, not into their heads, but where? In their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. So they're both going to be working together. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where the removal, the remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Is there anything else you have to do to get your sins removed? No. Once they've been removed, you need no more sacrifices. You need no more continuing mass. You need no more priesthood. You need no more temples. You need no more altars. Well, the remission of sins is there's no more sacrifice for sins. It's a done deal. Isn't it a shame that we muddle God's forgiveness? We misunderstand just how complete it is. Simon couldn't conceive that he didn't need to bring a sacrificial lamb anymore to the temple. He couldn't conceive that he didn't need to constantly come to God and say, God, I've done something wrong. Now this lamb is going to die for my sin. He couldn't conceive that sin could fully and finally and completely and absolutely be forgiven. And here was Jesus teaching him about what he was going to do on the cross because that's what Jesus did. Full, final, free and complete forgiveness. Don't muddle with God's forgiveness. I like that word muddle. Did you ever use that word? Good word. Don't muddle with forgiveness. Amen. And then last reason why we love Jesus is because we misdirect our love. Look at verse 42 still back there in Luke chapter 7. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And he asked Simon, he says, tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Now, look at verse 49. Simon's not alone. He's invited a crowd of other people and other Pharisees, his, his peers, people just like him. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? So there are other people there. And I want you to see uh, Simon was wasting his love on other people. Here was a Pharisee who got along great with people who were like-minded, just like him, that, were, that, 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 that scratched his back and he would scratch their back. They got along just fine. That was where his love was. And if you measured up his love for the things of this world versus his love for God, even Simeon would be way out of balance. We misdirect our love. And if you're more passionate about what team is playing this afternoon in some cup somewhere than you are in being in church, your love is misdirected too. We misdirect our love. This, this Simeon couldn't conceive just how much he should be in love with God. He really thought, well, God, I love you. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Remember, which of the two debtors would love the forgiving lender most. I believe they both should, amen? But only one loved. Really, look what Simeon was doing. Simon, Simon, what was Simon doing? Standing there, watching it all. I imagine his, his arms are crossed. He's aghast at this woman. Who's in love with Jesus at that moment? Only one person. 
Don't tell me that you love God and yet you're hypercritical of other people. Don't tell me that, boy, I love God, but you never open his book and listen to him tell you all the things he needs you to do if you love him. We misdirect our love. Then he pointed to this woman and he said, I've got some lessons to teach you, Simeon. I keep saying Simeon, I'm sorry. Simon, verse 44. He turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath watched my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now I want to stop there and I want to blow your mind for a minute. First of all, I want you to see, and we're going to build on this, I'm going to probably turn something on its head, maybe that you just imagine, and you don't even know where you learned it from, but you learned a lie. Are you ready? First of all, she loved Jesus. Could you tell that she loved Jesus? I mean, this isn't a normal stand up here, brother, uh, uh, whatever your name is. <laughs> Harry, Frank, whatever your name is. I can love. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm trying to think of a funny name to give. Anyway, I can love just about anybody like this, you know. Oh, good to see you. Oh, he just guts, man. I can come along and act like I really like somebody. Right? Jimmy here, you're my friend. Amen? Until I turn away. <laughs> Thank you. You can sit down. It may be, oh, that's kind of love. But to actually get down, nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Don't even touch your shoe. It is staying on. But get down to the level of his filthy, dirty, stinking feet. That's a love I've never known. You understand what I'm saying? That is a love beyond anything that you've ever known. And here was this woman showing love. She loved Jesus. Would you agree with that? I mean, you couldn't pry her away from that place. She was, she was closer to God right there than all the Pharisees of all time standing in the greatest places in the temple. Here she was, loving Jesus. All this woman was interested in was a man from Galilee. She not only was she not only loved Jesus, she showed her love. How she I got to, I got to think about this. Why is she crying? I mean, she she's a bold woman. Would you say? Straight in the house, beyond I don't know where they got cooks and butlers. I don't know through the whole thing around a, a crowd of men who are all talking politics and religion and everything, and back to the back where Jesus' feet were sticking out, and there she she's a brave woman. Would you agree? And there she is. What's she weeping about? I mean, she's got courage. She could have asked him for anything. She could have sat at his feet and just listened, but instead she weeps. And I got to thinking, why would she weep? I know why. Because when you've lived in sin all your life, and when your life has been broken and weighed down by the actions that you sometimes have been abused into, sometimes you've given yourself to. And all of that sin affects your heart and hardens it, doesn't it? For the first time in her life, her heart came alive. And it was broken and she just started bawling, crying. 
she felt again. She felt loved again. All of a sudden, she could love again. All the other relationships, all the other nights, all the other acts were fake. Here she was, probably for the first time since she was a child, she was loving somebody. You know what? Jesus can do that to you. I'm going to turn this on his head. I'm going to say some things because I hope that you understand what's really going on here. I don't think she stopped. I mean, when Jesus is in there speaking to Simeon, Simeon, why am I saying Simeon? Who's in here, Simeon? Simon. When she, when he's talking to Simon, she's still doing it. She's not embarrassed. She's been pointed out. She showed her love by her good works and in her, her unashamed worship. So don't you dare tell me that you love Jesus and you say, well, I attended church for about two hours. <laughs> That's my love for Jesus. I tell you what, this woman's worship was tough to do. But here's the question. Why? Why'd she do that? Why did she, with tears, wash Jesus' feet, wipe his feet with her hair? That's, that's going to affect her looks. It's going to affect her. Kissing his feet, anointing his feet with this very expensive oil. Why did she do that? It was not so that she could be forgiven. Watch it. Don't you dare think that she was trying to be forgiven. She already is. You see, this woman had already seen enough of Jesus Christ. How he would say to a man who had been let down through Peter's house, the roof in the house, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody else expected him just to pull him out of the, out of the, the, um, the stretcher. Thank you. Uh, pull him out of the stretcher there and say, you're, you're, you're healed. Instead, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus talked about forgiveness. And this woman who needed one and only one thing, she believed, he can give me forgiveness. And if that, with that simple, humble, childlike belief, she already is forgiven. She is loving Jesus because she has been forgiven. Do you know why? Do you know what some of you try to do? You come to church and you're trying to sing and you can't. You're trying to get close to James, and you can't. You're trying to smile, and you can't. You know why? Because you're carrying guilt, and you're carrying sin. You know what you did last night, and you don't want anybody else to know what you did last night. You know what you're involved in. You know sin has its grip around you, and you walk day after day, and you can't love. Let me tell you, you can be forgiven, and then you can love. This is breathtaking. This woman's not trying. That's a Roman Catholic doctrine that if you just love God, God will love you back. Wrong. I love him because he first loved me. He started the whole thing. I don't love him to get forgiven. I first get forgiven and then, wow, do I love him. Do you see the difference? Why did she do such things? This woman... In spite of her sin, in spite of her inability to be good, in spite of her inability to pay off all of her sin record, had experienced the greatest pardon, forgiveness, the greatest gift of all. When she simply, as a broken sinner, that's what repentance does. You know what repentance does? It breaks you. It stops you dead in your track and says, I give up. 
And then you cry out to a Savior. You say, I believe. I believe. I just trust you. I told you the example of a, of a young doctor. I went into the hospital at 1 o'clock in the morning with pain. Which side? The other side. I couldn't get rid of the pain. I took all kinds of Rennies. I thought it was indigestion, man. But I couldn't get any relief. So I went to the hospital. Doctor, We didn't have any clinics open where I was. And so I just went to the hospital there. and They started feeling around. and says, Mr. Ledbetter, we have to operate. And it's 1.30 in the morning. We've only got one doctor. I went, okay, good. Bring him in. And this kid walks in. <laughs> he didn't look much older than me. I said, how old are you? He says, I'm 25. And I, I grabbed his trench coat and I said, how many of these have you done? He says, plenty. I said, I don't believe you. <laughs> he said, Mr. Ledbetter, I'm the only one that can, can help you right now. You're just going to have to trust me. I'll, I'll get that appendix out of there and I'll get you off that table. He brought me a clipboard. Basically, it says, <laughs> basically, it said, you're going to let this man cut you open. And if you die, you will not sue him. Not what it said, but that's what I thought it said. So anyway, I signed it over and I said, I'm glad I was saved. But I looked at that young man and I said, I trust you. And I laid back and they put that mask on. He said, count backwards from 10. I went, 10, 9, uh, and I was gone. A couple hours I wake up and there's, a, there's staples in my skin, man. But the point is this. I had to trust him. Couldn't help him. Couldn't guide him. Couldn't negotiate with him. I had to let him do it. You know that's how you get saved? You get saved by looking at Jesus Christ and I trust you. I trust you. You know how to reach into my cold, hard heart. You know how to reach in and forgive and change and make me your child. You know, if that ever happens, you'll come unglued. When you find out that he can't even remember where your sins are, you'll go, I have a verse and I wish I could find it. Ah, I do. Isaiah chapter 38. Why are you going to that? Let me say this. Our love for God is, to- is totally, I don't care if you think that, well, I love God because he does this for me. And amen, I'm glad that, that you have all kinds of reasons why you love God. But let me tell you, the one all-consuming reason why anybody can love God is because he first loved you enough to forgive you. He doesn't like you, James. He loves you. And he was loving you enough that he did this verse. Look at Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah 38 and verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. This was Isaiah talking. But thou hast in love to my soul. Say, because you loved me, you delivered it from the pit of corruption. That's hell. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. So here I come to God. 35 years ago, on the 15th of June, 1980, 36 years ago, almost, I came to God and I said, God, here's my sins. And God took my sins and threw them behind his back. The devil comes along and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord. Do you know what sin he's done lately? And the Lord takes that sin and he throws it behind his back. He says, I'm not even going to look at it. 
Because my son paid for that sin. And for that sin. And for that one. And for all those two. You see, when God does that, it's in my bitterness, He loved me. In my destruction, self-destruction, He loved me. And if that doesn't get your blesser blessed, Why is she down there? Why is she loving him so much? Because he could say, like, like Paul, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And he said it with a smile. He wasn't, he wasn't sad about his sin anymore. Do you know, if anybody should have been haunted by his sin, it should have been the Apostle Paul. Right, Brother Dennis? Who, uh, who was Paul? He was known as Saul the Terminator before. Saul had personally tortured and saw through the execution and murder of Christians. If anybody should have been tortured by all of the guilt of blaspheming the name of his Savior, of, of persecuting harmless, meek Christians who never fought back, Paul should have been going to sleep at night hearing the screams of those people who were put in prison and left there to die just because they were Christian. He should have been tormented by that. You know what Paul said? I don't remember any of it. Because God doesn't. Because I have been forgiven. Not that it never happened, but that it doesn't matter now. And only forgiveness can do that. See, we've been convinced that we've never really sinned. There's no real sin today. Pastor, you're talking about an old thing. We don't really sin. Yes, we do. And the more you try to convince yourself there's no sin, you're trying to get out of the guilt and you can't get away from it. It will haunt you and crush you one day. The only way to deal with it is to get the sin forgiven. Why was she doing such things? Because she was forgiven. Now, the effect on this woman, the effect of forgiveness on this woman, can I say this? What's the effect of being forgiven? I, I, I say this just for emphasis. That means she was forgiven. No strings attached. There was not a temporary basis here. This is not something where you're forgiven, young lady, until you sin again. What? Who did Jesus die for? Sinners. For sins that are only in the past? Hmm. You know what? All of my sins that Jesus died for were in the future. Think about that for an hour. Jesus died for all sins, past, present, and future. When, what's the effect on this woman? She was completely and forever forgiven. Now, do I still sin? Nod your head, yes. Do you still sin? Nod your head very fast, yes. Yes. But you know what? Every one of my sins, every one of your sins, if you're born again, have been nailed to the cross. Every one of them. Now, this woman not only was forgiven... This woman is not the woman that Simon thought she was anymore. You see, when she comes in, what does Simon know her as? Oh, that woman. You know what Jesus says? This woman. This is a different woman than what you think she is. You see, forgiveness can change a person. Oh, the law will break somebody. I can find out all that's wrong with you and put you into prison. We'll fix you at all. But you know, if you want forgiveness, you can get forgiveness and it will change you forever. You know what David said? David, one of, the, one of the worst sinners in the Old Testament. He committed adultery. He lied about it. He covered it up. Had her husband murdered. And he had no qualms about it. 
No guilty conscience about it. One of the worst sinners of all. You know what, what, what David said? Thy gentleness hath made me great. You know, God was kind to David. And David said, thank you. You see, when you're forgiven, it'll change you. It'll change you where if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The effect of forgiveness on the woman is she was not the same. Third, and this woman couldn't stop loving Jesus. I believe with all my heart, this woman, this, this woman never stopped following Jesus. At the cross, she was there. At the resurrection, she was there. Whenever there was a prayer meeting, she was there. When they had prayer for Peter being in prison, she was there. You know why? Because forgiveness changed her. How to have great love towards Jesus like she did. Look back in verse 44. Let's read it again. Let's compare it to ourselves and we'll be through. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Verse 45. Still in Luke chapter 7, verse 45. Thou gavest me no kiss. Now think about how rude that was. I mean, what if David Murphy is standing back there in Dean, maybe, or, or um, uh, Hannes is standing back there at that door, and in you come, and you just see, you just see David go. <laughs> now, he, he acknowledges you, you know, but there's no handshake. There's no welcome. Hey, how are you? Boy, it's good to see you. You see, when Jesus came into this invitation, there was Simeon, Simeon. there was Simon, and he's just standing there. Gave him no kiss. Gave him no, no water for him to wash his feet. It's like he's saying, now, Jesus, now, 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 you're in my house, but don't push it. Let's not, let's not get too fanatical now, you know. Jesus, just be grateful that I invited you. Isn't that a shame? Now, now, now God, look, don't push it. Sunday morning is all you're getting. Keep going. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time, verse 43, 45, this woman, since the time I came in, had not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. Why would they put oil on their head? It's the desert. They're working all day out in the heat. They come in for an afternoon meal. They're the top of their head. If you've ever been in Spain and you've been outside, you touch the top of your head, it's like an oven. Now, you and I, we go over there for a holiday. We come home. You live in it, and you're working out in the heat of it. You don't have a hat. Your skin cracks. I mean, you get infection in there, and you're dead. So what do they do? They massage in an oil, and they, they, they revitalize that skin. And Jesus said, you gave me no oil. Verse 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. What's the two things that I want you... Well, look at verse, uh, verse 48. And he says unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Why would he say that to her? Just to reinforce, because I bet she didn't believe it. I bet she's looking and saying, do you mean it's, it's really done? Lord, there's nothing more for me to do. And your sins are done and dusted. It's okay now. You know, I, I'm glad the Lord is patient with me when, with my confusion and my 
twists and turns that I go down. The Lord just keeps trying to get me back into the book and try to keep reminding me of the truth. Your sins are forgiven. You're in my hand now. Whatever the devil meant to do for you, I'm going to make it turn out for good. First of all, if you want to have the ability to have love toward Jesus, you need to accept your great need. What's your great need? To be forgiven. Whatever other needs you may have, and there are many needs, it is nothing compared to your and my need to be forgiven from the wrongs of our doings. Whatever guilt you're carrying, whatever troubles you constantly face, you know what the purpose of all the troubles in your life are? To get you on your knees. To get you to finally break and to bring you to a place where you repent and you're broken and you have nothing that you hold on to and you instead choose to cling to Christ. That is born again. That is all there is to it. And then the second thing you need to do is come to Christ only. Countless millions upon millions upon millions have found Him listening and ready to forgive. All you have to do is come to Him just as you are. Aren't you glad? I love that song. Just as I am without one plea but that Thy blood was shed for me. How's the rest of it go? Yea, all in thee. I can't remember all of a sudden. O Lamb of God, I come. That's where I was going. Too many people stay away. Too many people. I tell you, there's some people in this room who can't wait to get out that door. I, I, I worry about you. Why? I just want to stay. I just want to listen to another story about Jesus. I just want to get close to him. I want somebody to take my heart and break it again and remind me what happened 35 years ago and make sure it's fresh today. You see, if you want to have a love for God, you've got to have that kind of forgiveness that affects you for the rest of your life. Don't just come and get a little bit. Don't come and grab a scone, you know. Well, I got my scone and so I'm happy. Don't come and get a little bit of forgiveness. Get the whole deal. Start to finish, he offers you full and free. What would make us so that we're loving people? What would make our hearts soft? You know what it is? Forgiveness. I may need to forgive, but I cannot forgive until I have been forgiven. Come to Jesus Christ only. And then when you come to him, believe him. Believe that he will forgive if you only believe it's true. You know, this guy, if I had not been in a hospital, I would not have believed that this doctor was a real doctor. I mean, I just, I tell you, I'm looking at this guy. And he just, he didn't even, he, I had a mustache. He didn't even have a whisker. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that this kid was going to operate on me. But if you come to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to believe that he can and he will and he does forgive even you. Maybe your mate hasn't forgiven you. Maybe your parents haven't forgiven you. Maybe your kids haven't forgiven you. But God will. That's why, that's why I love doing what I do. Because forgiveness changes people. From that moment on, you'll love God and others. Now, what I'm going to encourage you, listen, you say, well, I'm saved. I'm saved six years. Let me tell you this. You know what you need to do? Go back to that time when you got forgiven and realize just how much you were forgiven. You realize just how, how high was your record and how awful was your sin. And remember, it was all taken away. And here you are now, 
It's like the rest of the world. Iniquity abounding and love waxing cold. You need to come back and say, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Don't need to get saved again. You just need to get that joy again. You just need to remember just how much you've been forgiven. To whom, to whom has been forgiven, they begin to love. How about your love for Christ? Have you miscalculated the debt you owe to God? I have to tell you, it's never too much. He paid for it all. Have you misunderstood your ability to pay back all that debt? Maybe you've got a muddled understanding of what God's forgiveness is. A lot of people think that they kind of get it bit by bit. We go for a, a, you know, a bit of a fill-up on a Sunday, and then it runs out. We've got to keep going back. We've got to keep going through all the motions. It's not like that. Don't muddle with God's forgiveness. He'll give it to you in total if you just ask. And then have you misdirected your love? One of the ways I know you spent time with Jesus is that you're reminded just how much he's forgiven you. You stay there. You stay at that cross looking up and realizing, why, why am I even allowed to be saved? You're in a good place. Why would he love a wretch like me? You're in a great place. Because all you can do from that moment on is love him. Forget about your opinion about Jesus for a minute. You need to listen to his opinion of you. His opinion is, you must be born again. Your sin debt is what will get you in the worst trouble of all. What your mom doesn't know, what your wife doesn't know, what your kids don't know, and what you can't ever bring yourself to ever, ever, ever talk about, God knows. And God can forgive. Father, would you take some of these thoughts Help us look into our hearts right now and just ask ourselves, what's there about sin that has our attention? What am I so enamored with that I'm holding on to and that's keeping me from coming to Christ? What am I worried about? Am I worried about all the Simons of the world who will laugh at me and mock me and look down on me simply because my greatest love and my life is given to Jesus Christ? Lord, what about the Christian in this room who's struggling back again with some sin and they're not even putting up a fight? And so the cycles go on and on and on and they wonder why their heart's getting harder and harder and harder. Father, I pray that we realize when we're forgiven, we realize just how much Christ has died for our sins. We don't have to work to get forgiven ever. All I have to do is ask. It's already done. The rock was smitten. All we have to do is speak to the rock now and the water gushes forth. The forgiveness is already paid for. What will happen in this room if every one of us just got back to that place where we were clean and washed and we were forgiven? Before we ever try to love, why don't we live in the place of forgiveness? Let it change our homes. We might find ourselves able to forgive those who've hurt us once we've realized just how much you've forgiven us first. If there's someone in this room who has the courage, like this woman, to say, I'm ready to get saved, then I pray that they would tell you that. I pray they would cry out to you with all their heart, even right now, and they'd say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. And may it change me like it did that woman. 
may change my life and my, my direction because I've never, I've never felt what it means to be forgiven by you. Help me to know it today. In Jesus' name, amen.